0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for our first episode of The Jazz Scene, giving you an in-depth look at the music and stories of the musicians performing on our stages here in Columbus. The Jazz Scene is presented by the Jazz Arts Group of Columbus, America's oldest non-for-profit arts organization dedicated to advancing the art of jazz through performance and education. My name is Zach Comston and I'm the Director of Education and Community Engagement at the Jazz Arts Group, and I'm also a drummer playing actively here in Columbus. So we're here with Michael Accapinti, guitarist from Toronto, Canada, who is here uh, with his band Shine On, who are playing our Inside Track series here at the Lincoln Theater, 8 p.m., September 19th. Uh, We just wrapped up our offstage at the Jazz Academy, which was a chance for you to play a little bit, but mostly talk about the inspiration for the music that you're performing, other inspirations that you have, and just some of your musical background. Why don't you first tell us your story okay. um, and <laughs> a little bit about your musical influences and kind of what led to this collaboration.
1: Right. Well, I'm a guitarist in Toronto, Canada, and a composer and arranger. And I'm kind of uh, an eclectic person. I do a lot of different things. I, I play in a lot, of, you know, I play a lot of different styles of music. Um, I, I think the unifying thing is that I'm, I'm interested in sort of a creative approach to guitar. I've been a band leader for really since, since I got out of university. I was always, you know, I went to uh, uh, York University in Toronto, which had a, you know, very mainstream kind of jazz program, which was really good for me. It kind of taught me the standard repertoire and, and that kind of approach. But, you know, I, I had always played in sort of original music pop bands prior to going to university and through university. And I was always writing. So when I got to school, I, st- I wanted to keep writing, you know, and I was interested in the composing side of things. And really, for me, when I went to the, I went to the BAMP Center for the Arts, uh, which is a very prestigious jazz summer workshop. And when I was in my third year university, and and there, you know, there were people like Steve Coleman there, and Bunky Green, and Rufus Reed and uh, Kenny Wheeler, and and that really blew me away because everybody there was doing original music. So then I felt like, okay, that I can do that, you know. And so when I got back to Toronto, I I, uh, I started doing that, and and a friend of mine who had gone to university with. We had this idea to put a big band together and it was only because, you know, our our fourth year assignment at York was to write a 10 minute piece for big band, And and we got to hear it performed. And I really loved that magic. When I got out of university, my friend Paul Neufeld and I said, y- you know, we were talking we're like, well, we're never going to hear that. That's a shame. You know, we're never going to hear that ever again. And we thought, well, why not? You know, so we started sort of informally calling just friends and anyone that we thought would maybe get together every six weeks, two months. And we started writing music for it. And um, after about a year, we had this, you know, kind of enough repertoire to do a gig, and, and we thought it was, again, like, it's funny how you, you throw a stone in the pond and ripples happen, right? So, we um, we did our first gig, and oddly enough, one of the major newspapers came and reviewed it, and said that this band is unlike any other band in the city, and they're onto something different. Maybe they're more inspired by, like, people like Charles Mingus and Henry Threadgill and Kenny Wheeler, so a little less sort of traditional. And, um, so then we thought, okay, we better keep doing this, you know? And so ultimately we ended up doing a, a record, which ended up winning, uh, our Juno is your, your Grammy. Mm-hmm. And a year later we had this record that you couldn't even get out of Toronto and it <laughs> won. So, so then that band kind of became a, uh, a, a big focus for the first 10 years of my career. So I did that for that was kind of the main focus, and I kind of neglected—not neglected, but I kind of put aside the idea of being a guitarist. Mm. You know, I mean, I was playing guitar in the big band. I, right. I, I think I'm one of the only people in the world that kind of conducts a big band while playing the guitar. <laughs> it was just hard. Um, but I, you know, I had small groups, but really, it was because of the big band that I um, we ended up on th- on this record company called True North, and they had br- this guy Bruce Coburn, this legendary Canadian songwriter, uh, guitarist uh, on the, uh, on the label. And so I started taking home Bruce Coburn CDs and, and I, uh, I was like, oh, this is a beautiful song. I'd like to do that song, you know? And I started playing some of his songs as part of my set. And so his manager, um, heard me do a couple of them and he said, Hey, that no one's ever done that with Bruce's music before. You know, would you do another couple of songs? If I gave you some money, would you record a demo? And so I demoed them and, and his manager, uh, said I think you should do a whole album of it and so they gave me some money to do an album of it and it Bruce came and played on it which was great and and that I think that kind of marked the shift where I, I suddenly started to focus on myself as a small group leader and, right. and so coming out of that idea of doing a song book I ended up doing uh, uh, this my first record of all Sicilian music you know where I took all these Sicilian songs and that's because I have a strong connection to Sicily my parents were Sicilian and uh, I have family there and and in fact, I hadn't been there in a long time, and my parents passed away in the 90s, but in, in 2003, my first child, my first daughter was born, and and you know, uh, I happened to be doing a gig with the big band in the Netherlands, and so my daughter was three months old, and I said to my wife, well, oh, why don't you come with me to the Netherlands, and then we'll go down to Sicily hmm. and go visit my family who I hadn't seen. And then there was something about being there and being there with my newborn daughter and realizing that you know, I wanted to connect her to this culture because I speak Sicilian dialect because right. my parents spoke it at home and, and we have all this family and I want her to have, a have that connection with that family. You know, it doesn't, you know, th- the distance is there, but you don't have to break the thread, right? Sure, sure. and, and that's where I got this idea of like, well, I really enjoyed doing Bruce Coburn's music, so maybe I would enjoy tackling Sicilian music and did that. And really the project we're here with, the John Lennon project, kind of comes out of that idea. It seems like every few years, I, I like this idea of, Finding a, a repertoire to, to kind of choose to do, and as I said in the, in the clinic in 2010, it was the anniversary of Lennon's passing, and and you know and he died in December, and we, you know, I was I was asked to put on a Christmas concert by uh, a jazz festival that I'm the artistic director of, and when I looked at the calendar, I thought you know everyone's going to do a Christmas concert, so let's do a John Lennon concert, and uh, you know it, it was uh, so clear to me that people have this strong emotional connection to his music and yet they liked what we were doing with it. What excited me most is that all I had hired all these friends of mine to come and play it, and they were all like, this is great, you know, what a great band, we gotta do this again. And they all lead their own individual projects, so that was a bit of a challenge, because I had to always find times when they weren't busy with their things. But they've all embraced it, and they all love it, and, and so it's been a wonderful couple of years
0: playing, playing this music, you yeah. know. Um, what do you think the X factor is uh, in your presentation of this music that makes it fresh? It can't just simply be that John Lennon is a hook because this is some music that, that has complexity and, and mm-hmm. really requires a listener's ear to kind of go on this new and different journey. Right. So so what's the what's the hook with that?
1: Uh, well, first of all, I was really committed to doing something to developing the song somehow. Um I felt to be honest with you, I felt more responsibility and more pressure than any other project mm-hmm. have probably done. In in the sense that Everybody loves these songs, and they mean they do mean so much to to people and so you're kind of th- that puts you in this awkward spot because it's like, okay, if you play them authentically, that might satisfy the nostalgic side of people, but it's not going to like- like go, "Oh, I've never heard that song like that you know and so I didn't want to do that, and at the same time, you know you can kind of twist it lots of different ways, but you don't want to alienate the emotional connection you know people from their their own emotional connection to the tune, you know just not being afraid to be uh, to vary was was a big part of it. You know, just just the willingness to kind of go somewhere new with it, and and at the same time to kind of respect the tone of the lyrics. I, right. th- I I felt that as long as I respected the tone of the lyrics, that the music seemed to follow in a, in a good way. Um,
0: but I want to talk for a minute about you as a guitarist because I know you said you didn't spend for a period there too much time thinking about yourself as as a, as a guitarist in in a in the sense of the technical element. You know, in, in um, but yet, you have so much diversity to your sound mm. um, you know with this big pedal board, and not only the fact that you have this pedal board, which you see so many guitarists have the yeah, equipment stands, but but you're moving so effortlessly through that and getting so many textures that are contributing to the music
1: um you know I think it started just f- you know when I started playing the guitar um, you know both my older brothers are musicians, and so I you know my brother Roberto, who plays with me. You know, he was uh, really into jazz and funk, and through him I kind of got turned into on to things like Stevie Wonder and, um, you know, uh, late Miles Davis and, you know, um, and people like George Benson. And, and so that to me was like, okay, well, then I want to study jazz, and I started taking jazz guitar lessons. Um, but my other brother is more of a – he was like – he loved the Beatles, British Invasion, Um, British blues stuff and you know he turned me on to you know Stevie Ray Vaughan Mm. and Jimi Hendrix and that kind of stuff and and you know and then of course my own music you know just what my friends were listening to you know I was hearing things like Talking Heads and The Police and uh, early U2 and and you know, and things like King Crimson, and, you know, and so right away, I, I always was interested in like, you know, someone like Jimi Hendrix, like, wow, like those sounds, those tones that he pulls out of the guitar, or Andy Summers with the police, you know, those kind of textures, and, and I fell in love with Jeff Beck, and the way he uses the volume knob on his guitar, you know, to kind of sound like a voice, and um, so, you know, what was weird is I had all that, I had the interest in all that right away, pretty much, and what was weird is when I went to university and g- entering a very straight-ahead kind of jazz program, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in Canada, you know, uh, Ed Bickert is, is sort of the gym hall of, of Canada, you mm-hmm. know, and and I, I used to see Ed Bickert, I used to be a busboy at a jazz club, and I would see Ed Bickert play, and I would see people like Lenny Bro, and and one of my teachers was a, a, a guy named Lovsky, who I, I think if he toured around would, you know, he's uh, the best guitar player technically I've ever heard. You know, he, what he does is incredible. Um but there's a there's an aesthetic there very warm dry kind of sound and after a while I realized that was never going to be me I Mm. think I went into you know I think I went into university thinking okay if I study with these guys you know maybe when I get out I'll be like you know a first call like sideman jazz guitar player for jazz gigs and then I realized you know that wasn't really going to be my career you know I wasn't content to really play with that sound I was okay to do it in school but when I got out I was like no my, my writing doesn't suit that right and it actually you know it took a long time um I think all that time I was you know leading the big band and I was still running a small group but I was still trying to reconcile like what's my sound going to be you right. know how do I deal with the fact that I have this interest in processing and um and when I, I think hearing people like John Schofield and Bill Frizzell was really good for me you know because it was so clear listening to them that they were not afraid to incorporate the funk stuff or the or the electronic stuff into their voice. You know, it became a big part of, you know, and it's not to say that they don't have a, vo- they you know, both those guys, you know, give them a dry guitar and plugged into an amp and they would still sound like sure. themselves. But they made it a part of what they do. And, you know, when I, I, d- I do use, you know, processing and, but I really try to make it personal, like, and, and organic, like to sound like it's an extension of my instrument. It's not here I am stepping, look at me, I watch this, click, here's a different sound. You know, I always wanted to kind of like, you know, I, I like to surprise people, like, and I like to surprise the band, quite frankly. I, I do vary the sounds, you know, and, and it's part of, I, I view it like improvising. You know, it's like, oh, this tune is going here today. I know this sound will be the right sound, or I want to try it. And I know sometimes the band looks over and goes like, oh, we weren't expecting that, <laughs> one, that one. And that's cool. I, yeah. I want to surprise them, too and And also, you know those sounds the sounds make you play differently, mm-hmm. you know, so so y- you know um so sometimes it's a good way of just forcing yourself out of your own box, you know a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and in this context, it's an all acoustic band pretty much, uh, you know, Elizabeth plays a little bit of Rhodes, but everything else you know, she's at sometimes at the acoustic piano, my brother might be playing upright bass, and I get t- it's nice, I get to be the orchestra, I get to be you know this the, this sort of tone palette and sure. and uh, you know, and I feel like it's really in the last few records I've done that I've really found a way to record myself capturing all those, that side of me, you know, like I really, f- I think I feel like I figured it out. And maybe it's just that I'm, o- I'm old enough to not care anymore. You know, like, y- y- you yeah, know, it's, it's just like, this is, this the way I play, you right. know, and I'm not, not so worried about, you know, when you're younger, it's hard because you're always worried about what are your peers going to say, you know? And so, you know, if you're doing a gig and some straight-ahead player that you really admire is in the audience, I would, o- uh, me, I was just insecure enough to go, oh, man, I shouldn't play with the sound. I, I must <laughs> yeah, you right. know, so-and-so's there, they must be hating every minute of it, you know. Um, and now I don't worry about that so much. Well,
0: and that's such a such a great lesson, especially, especially for young musicians, you know, as you mentioned, going through university, uh, in your quest to develop uh, the fundamentals that are needed to yeah. play this music, you sometimes apply that to your aesthetic whether you like it or not like i have to have this sound i have to have this tuning you know of my instrument you know uh, of the drums or cymbals or or the guitar uh, the guitar sound and then i even have to quote certain musicians and play a certain thing here and it becomes this this um this thing that covers up your personality and i think it's refreshing to hear that as you go you kind of uh you end up having a, a certain degree of of you don't, you don't worry so much and you just kind of commit to what you are. And the result, in your case, I, I feel watching the band is not only a sound at the guitar, but a sound through, as you mentioned, the, the compositions and arrangements that come through the band. And it seems like your particular ensemble is full of musicians that are like that, that this is what they're going to do. Yeah. It comes from a wide degree of influences, and, and we're just going to encapsulate this really, really well, and, and people are going to enjoy it. We don't have to go this way or go that way.
1: Yeah, I, I've I've always been attracted to musicians who you know, uh, I mean like Don Byron for example when when he came into the big band and played with us, I realized that he quotes he references such a broad array of music. You know, he might. He might quote Stravinsky. He might quote *Sly and the Family Stone*. You know, and and his own projects are like that. And sometimes I think that, that living in a in a city that's just big enough that you can just not leave. Like you, Toronto's got a great music scene. It's right. a big city, so mm-hmm. you don't have to tour. You could just happily like gig around uh, Southern Ontario and play with different people. And and I think that's great. But I think that sometimes it it it, it can box you in a little bit because you start playing to those gigs and instead of like if you start a project you know the nice thing about having an original music project is it makes you want to get out there right you want you want to take it to an audience and so suddenly by doing that you're kind of free because it's your own thing so you can kind of do what mm. you want um essentially i when i was at banff i remember steve coleman saying um he said he you know he said the moment you start your own band be prepared for the phone to stop ringing mm-hmm. as a sideman right you know, as a side musician, and that—that's been my—that ex- was my experience for a long time too. I felt like, you know, because people come up to you, they see, like, especially with the big band when it started getting, you know, when we won that Juno Award and the subsequent records were nominated and we were getting good press, it'd be like, oh man, you know, I'd run into someone at a club on a Saturday night and I'd be off, and someone would say, oh man, you know, I, you're, you're so busy. I read about that thing that you're, that gig you did, and I'm like, yeah, that was four months ago, right right but it just gets in people's heads like oh yeah Michael's busy doing that thing he must not be available and it's funny because now I'm a little bit more active in other people's bands you know um and it's nice you know and it's partly just because I think maybe because of the way I use sound people want me to do that in their projects and I you know with Elizabeth Shepard I get to play in her band and and just do a lot of that kind of stuff um but it's nice you know you want the phone to ring you sure. want people to say come and do your thing in my
0: context right. anyway. well and, and you mentioned toronto being the kind of city that that is rich enough that you can just exist there and really feel fulfilled musically um columbus is very similar you know it, it's a sizable music scene it's a music scene that you can come and have any interest in really pursue it and then you can start working in in the cities that are around right. like cleveland right. cincinnati right. dayton right. and others um is this your first time to columbus
1: First time to Columbus, yeah. I've been, to cl- I've played in Cleveland a few times, um, and uh, and I've certainly toured all around. It's funny, like you know Cincinnati and,
0: mm-hmm. um, but first time in Columbus, yeah. And, and it's beautiful, by the way. Well, yeah. and we love it. Um, yeah. and and you did uh, in the forty-eight hours that you've been here, we've taken <laughs> you out to two different schools. Um, you then you went up to Cleveland for a gig. And then you did a workshop today, and then you'll do your performance yeah. tonight. Um, give us an idea of kind of how you feel about the scene down here, and, and what you think.
1: Well, I mean, look, if we could do that in every city we visit, it's it's great. It's great for touring to be able to go into those high schools. Um, and you know, it was it was it was such a nice way to start the morning yesterday. That you know, the first high school group we did, they were so enthusiastic. And uh, and you know, not only were they enthusiastic, what I loved was that when we were setting up and we were almost ready to start, they just were, without anyone shushing them or whatever, they were just like, okay, you know, Something's gonna they were ready here. for some magic. And right. I thought that made me feel really, really good, you know. Um, and and I've known Pete Mills uh, for a while now, and he's played with my Sicilian project. He, he subbed in, and I brought him up to Markham Jazz Festival. And, you know, and I said to him, I said, you know, Cleveland particularly and, and Columbus are no further away than, Ottawa and Montreal are from Toronto, mm. you know, the the sort of next two big cities that we can go to. And uh, I said to Pete a long time ago, I said, I'd love to do, I love the idea of having this flow between two geographic centers, you know, and the idea, I s- uh, you know, I didn't make it happen this year, but I I don't know if you know Bobby Salvaggio, the yeah, saxophone uh-huh. player. But I had said to him and Pete, I said, you know, I should, you guys should come up and, and we can start to do this, you know, like let's explore each other's scenes, you know, because I think, you know, the one thing, I, uh, it's probably the same here as it is for us. You know, like the New York jazz scene is, you know, it's great. But it's also where all the m- sort of jazz media is kind of centered. And sure. it ca- and I i feel when I read, like, Downbeat Magazine or whatever, it's very myopic. It's very, like, everything that's cool in the world is happening in New York mm-hmm. or it's not happening. <laughs> right. right. Like, you know. Um, and in many ways, you know, you can argue it. You can say, well, you know, on any given night, look who's playing in New York City. But on the other hand, it does... it's a shame because you realize and and this is the beauty of touring is you get to realize when you go into this area like wow look at all these great musicians you know and uh and i want you know it's the same thing being in toronto it's like sometimes i feel like well we've got this great scene but nobody knows about it other than within canada but certainly south of the border and um so it feels to me like as i meet musicians like yourself there's a lot going on here you know and what you're doing with you know this theater and this society is fantastic, and and in Cleveland last night, you know, playing at the Bob Stop and realizing that, you know, they've got the music school during the day that's kind of supporting the jazz club at night. Mm, right. I, I'm uh, I'm quite inspired actually in terms of models. I'm like I feel like going home and like okay, how can I figure out how to do what they're doing? So that's the nice thing about touring is that. It opens your eyes to how other people are doing things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been certainly inspired to have you and, and extremely grateful to take you in so many different contexts. It's such a core of what we believe that this music is. So it permeates more than just entertainment, as I mentioned to the right, students yesterday. Right. It, it It is entertaining and inspiring, but it, it has so many threads with young people through improvisation, and, and it's our culture, it's our history, yeah, you yeah. know, being, being morphed into these different things, mm-hmm. but we look forward to having you back as soon as we can possibly get you back. Um, happy, you know, happy we'd happy love to, to that, yeah. continue that on, and in the meantime, the best of luck to you, and we look Thank forward you. to hearing you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Michael. Okay. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Jazz Scene. We want to hear your feedback. Visit our podcast website, jazzarchgroup.org slash thejazzscene, and leave us your comments, questions, or suggestions. A big thank you to the Fort Hayes Career Center and Ryan Van Bibber for lending us our talented audio engineer, Jesus Hernandez. Our theme music is by Michael Cox. Our producer is Vanessa Gabriel. And funding for this podcast is provided by the Jazz Arch Group of Columbus. I'm Zach Comstant, and we hope you catch our next episode of The Jazz Scene.